here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I'm Aaron Bentley. I'm one of your hosts. I am joined by my good friend. It's Mike Spears, folks. Hey, y'all. It's your old pal, Mike Spears. It has been a very long week for me, and it'll be another pretty long week after this. But I'm glad to be here. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on, but there's one big pressing topic that the EE friends want to know. And that is something that I'll ask as soon as you introduce our other co-host. Okay. We're also joined by Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. What's up, Nate? Hello, Aaron. Uh, I have no banter, so I'm great that Mike is going to throw to me with a question. What is it, Mike? How are your succulents? Have you watered them yet? So I have not watered my succulents. If I recall correctly, day, today is the day I'm supposed to water them. Is that right? Yes, that is the thing that we've okay. determined is that every two weeks, I'm going to remind you on your show to right. water your succulents because apparently I care more about your plant life than you do. Well, don't don't uh, get ahead of yourself because I did the very exciting move of purchasing a small succulent stand this week. Oh, purchasing, wow. Purchasing and uh, assembling. Uh, so it is now on my windowsill here directly in front of me. And I think I need to get more succulents because I've got, you know, 60% of this thing filled. But it, it has some more spots where I could put some nice additional succulents. Rad. I, I, I'm glad that you've decided that your summer brand was just getting really in on plants that don't require much maintenance. That's right. It's hot succulent summer here at the uh, Nate household. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, I just uh, some of some of these succulents are like, have sort of a low profile. Some are taller than others. And I just wanted to get more sun on these these short guys. So I uh, got a big stand for them, put it together. It's, uh, you know, really added some uh, uh, rustic flair to my office. <laughs> Can confirm that short guys need sun. That's right. Got to do it. So if you want more discussion like that, you got to How could you not? How could you not? You got to follow us on Twitter. It's at everything AEW. You can find me at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji Heya. That's like Don Fuji with two eyes. Uh, I'm I'm going back and forth between being over 500 and under 500 followers. Uh, it's really bothering me. I don't know why people would ever unfollow me. And I think somebody soft blocked me recently because I went from following 100 people to only 99. So I can't figure out who it is though. That was me. <laughs> yeah after after we finish recording we have uh we'd like to talk to you about the future of the show aaron just okay what, well what we're gonna do to you know progress and evolve the show evolve interesting word you use there <laughs> also make sure you subscribe to the show catch these episodes on thursday nights immediately as soon as they're published 
either in our feed, search Everything Elite on the podcast app of your choice, or as part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can get all the podcasts on the network at VoicesOfWrestling.com or on the podcast app of your choice. A lot to talk about today. There was a, a big announcement about the television deal. A lot of it was stuff we pretty much already knew, but now it's official. We can talk about all the details. We got some notes on All Out. Uh, that's the next big show that's coming up soon. I booked my hotel, so I'm officially going. Uh, we got some notes on some new talent that's uh, perhaps more exclusive to AEW than they were before. We are actually going to talk about OWE and their Canada and Ger Germany run. And the BT recap is back. So that's all coming up on this episode. Let's start talking about uh, the television news. So AW officially announced that its time slot was going to be 8 to 10 Eastern on Wednesdays on TNT starting weekly on October 2nd. That's pretty much what we've said on this show and what Dave Meltzer's reported for some time. I think the biggest announcement is that the debut event is going to be held at the Capital One Center in Washington, D.C., which is generally configured for a Raw or SmackDown for 14,000 fans. So that's going to be bigger than any place they've run so far. So let's start here, Nate. Can they sell out a 14,000-seat arena for the debut television show? They can. Um, I don't know that they will. I don't know that there's a ton of value in me just guessing whether they will or not. But I think they'll be safely above, uh, you know, the 8,000 that uh, a WWE Raw would typically do at this stage in the game, uh, being that it is a big first-time event. And uh, if we can learn anything from, like, the ticket sale tracking of big events over the last couple of years, stuff that is big and historic and first time ever or supposed to be particularly special, those are the events that people really want to make an effort to travel to. So I, I think they'll do just fine in this building. Well, let me ask you this way. Maybe there's not much value in, in you guessing, but we do have to make content on this show. But I was a little surprised to see that they're going to run this big arena for the first show. So was that surprising to you at all? And you seem to suggest it wasn't. So why not? No, not surprising because it is a big historic first time ever event and they're going to put big matches on top of that show because not only do they need to draw a crowd, they have to pop a big rating on TNT because this is going to be the first show and they want to get a lot of eyeballs on there so they can say, hey, we're the new shit. Here's our top stars. Here's the big matches and great you know, wrestling that you're going to see. Here's a hot angle. All that means you've got to stack the card and it's got to be something special. So, um, you know, if you're going to go to that effort, you may as well exploit the ticket buying market as best you can. Um, so, no, this makes sense. If there are later shows when they're, you know, doing more standard or more run of the mill week to week shows, which, you know, at some point is, is a necessary thing to do. I'm sure those will be smaller, uh, you know, more, more uh, 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 small venues with lesser, <laughs> lesser seats. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And I think another thing we need to keep in mind is that there's nothing announced between All Out and the debut on TB TNT. So the debut in TNT is on October 2nd. All Out's on August 31st. So we're talking about close to 36 days without any shows. It's the longest break they will have had since the uh, pretty much since the promotion started getting going. So 
having this show like be at a big NBA and NHL arena in a major city, even on a Wednesday, I feel like that it makes sense why they would go for this kind of venue rather than the smaller or medium scale venues that they talked about later, just because there's only one time to do this. As Nate said, they're going to pack this card because there's just, I mean, they're going to have about five weeks to build up anything they need to do for this show. And it, it makes sense. I, I do think that like the first few weeks we'll see like these bigger venues and then maybe we will see them if they think that they can do pretty well in these venues and get good rates, go to these bigger venues or, the, or we'll see them pull back. I mean, I've seen numbers talked about I me. Mean, Tony Khan originally said 3000 people a week. There are other people that say that have said different numbers for attendance wise. So, I mean, they have like a wide gamut of potential venues. And then, you know, who's to say that they don't do more shows at like the Daly's place. Who says that they're not going to like record a show on the cruise, the Jericho cruise. So, like they have a lot of options for what they would want to do for these venues. And for this, it makes a lot of sense. And it'd be kind of interesting to see now that this is locked in to see how those deals are going to come across. Because as people have learned through like impact and WWE, you have so many different income streams from your different rights deals and seeing how that the Turner deal is set up that all of productions covered, they do get an ad downside, but the rest of the money you would assume would be coming from these international deals. And I feel like that now is the time for them to kind of get set up. See, is ITV4 going to be their permanent home in the UK? Where are they going to be doing for the rest of Europe? Where are they going to be doing for the rest of the world? So I think it's real interesting now that we have the state in mind the state in mind now that we kind of see how these other things get fleshed out and the build up to October 2nd. I think it's interesting what you said about that. There's going to be 36 days or whatever, you know, this fairly long period of time to build up to the first television show and nowhere to build. I mean, you're, you're building up to your first TV show. So right. your audience is solely from your pay-per-view buying audience and your online following. Right. So what I'm wondering is now I've said this on the show. I, I mean, it's obvious, but they got to pop a much bigger number on TNT than they're doing for these pay-per-view sales. Sure. So, but I guess the first place to start, are we going to see big, huge angles on all out that will lead to the first television show? Or should we expect to just see some build on online announcing big names, that sort of thing? I think it makes sense to do a big angle. Um, don't know what they have in store for that. But, you know, we're at least probably going to have some sort of direction on the world title program, I would think, uh, that we can sort of surmise out of whoever wins that match. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just like, uh, you know, most television debuts don't have builds first. So for the casual TNT viewing audience, it's going to be, hey, this is the new pro wrestling. Here's our, you know, uh, flashy trailer and hype reel. Um, and here's our top stars and everything. And then they're going to go in with a crowd in attendance that knows what has been built up on the road to shows, knows what's been built up on BT, and they're going to be hot for that sort of stuff to advance and pay off. So I think that's uh, that's smart because you don't have a you don't have a cold TV audience checking in on a cold wrestling product. You're going to have a cold TV audience checking in on something that's already in motion and already has fans that are like, hey, this is worth caring about. It's funny to think about like the first Raw and like, you know, Max Moon coming out or whatever as compared to what this is going to look like. And I know it's like a totally different time, totally different uh, market that we're in, but you're right. When they show up and it's, I think it's going to be packed full. I mean, 
if I were them, I would start by just, you know, not selling 14,000 tickets. And as they sold out, I'd probably uh, release more tickets. But it's going to be packed. It's going to look great on television and be insane. So uh, if you turn in, if you tune in on a whim, certainly going to grab you, I think, as something like, oh, this is cool. I should I should get into this. Yeah, so, a couple uh, of other notes on the venue. Um, it is the venue where they had the last star arcade that was produced by WCW. Um, it was also the venue where WCW did their biggest match, Togan and Sting, that uh, you know went south basically and fucked up their whole <laughs> booking. Um, and yeah, Dave did also basically say, yeah, they're pretty much going to have to do TV on the Jericho cruise just because of the schedule for that. Uh, and Dave also pretty much said, yeah, they're probably going to do unique venues in their standard television rotation uh, specifically mentioned club la vela where wcw did the spring break shows um and mentioned that explicitly and said you know did the classic zane bresloff name drop and said they're going to be using you know unique show ideas and stuff like that what do you guys think we talked about this a little bit last week but i kind of think you want a I know you don't want the same thing over and over like monday night raw but i kind of think you want a consistent aesthetic a consistent branding for what your show looks like when people tune in what do you all think about that versus having, especially if it's week to week, very different looking, totally uh, unique venues? Does that hurt the the brand, the aesthetic of the company? No, I think uh, unique venues, unique setups are extremely cool because while there is a value in consistency, there's more value value in doing what the WWE isn't doing. So differentiating yourself from the WWE and saying, hey, they do the same thing every week. We do different sets and different setups and different locations every week. You know, you're still going to have the same AEW logo. Just maybe you dress it up in a different way, you know, every couple months or whatever it is. So, um, no, I think, you know, the, the core elements I'm sure are going to be shared. But setting yourself apart from what the WWE is doing is, uh, I think, uh, a valuable thing to do. Yeah. And on top of that. From what we know about their live event goals, which has changed since we started doing the show, if you're going to only have four major pay-per-views, you're going to want to have some sort of visual variety going through it. So you're not just having the same 51 Wednesday night TV shows each year. I mean, we've seen from uh, from Double or Nothing to Fighter Fest to Fight for the Fallen how the uh, at least stage setup, setup and production has changed throughout there. So it makes sense that they're going to want to vary it up. Like if they do the on the beach show, it would look visually different than at what's going to happen at the, I always blank out their name because I always remember it as the Verizon Center, the Capital One Center. And that's going to be different from what would happen on the Jericho cruise. So it makes sense that you at least would have some variety when you're like quote unquote on location. But you know, for certain venues, I mean, Who's to say that they're always going to be running arenas? Who's to say they're not going to have some amphitheaters? Who's to say they're not going to have just bandstands or just other venues that would require a different look? And if that's the case, I think that there would be like, like we've seen the chandelier bang at constant stage queue throughout the first three shows. Who's to say that they don't just like put a tunnel and the chandelier out and that's it. So, I mean, there's a lot of options for a variety there, at least for visual style changes in my mind. See, now I think of it as the MCI Center. Oh, old school. That's yeah. like Gilbert Arenas. That's No, that's like Washington Bullets, Rex yeah, Chapman, Calbert Chaney days. Way to drop Rex Chapman on me. <laughs> Kentucky legend, Rex Chapman. Calbert Chaney, Indiana legend. Never heard of him. Sounds fake. 
was their all-time leading scorer for a good while. I'm not sure that he still is. Mm. Fake state, fake basketball program. Oh, wow. Old. Yep. I mean. You just alienated Champ Julius. I mean, you know, it hasn't been relevant since I've been alive as a basketball program. So. No, they they were in the finals in whatever the Tom Coverdale years, whatever year that was. Early 2000s. When yeah. we were in high school. Yeah, you were alive. Yeah, but were they relevant? They've been a number one seed, a number one ranked team since then. They yeah, did beat it, uh, Kentucky that one year in that assembly, this assembly hall game with the last second three. Yeah, they played another game that year. It was in the tournament, you may recall. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't watch. This is just osmosis. <laughs> no, no point in watching sports. Uh, can't agree with that. Speaking of watching things, tickets are going to go on sale for this first TV show on July 29. Okay, I saw some talk about this. So, uh, three of us on Twitter, or at least one of us. Anybody planning to go to this show? Maybe. I mean, I'm not going to discount the idea. I was. If there's things that come through, I think it'd be an interesting show to go to. I think it also is going to be how they're going to price it and knowing that Washington, D.C. can be an expensive city for me personally. So it's interesting, though. Yeah, much like the uh, the upcoming New Japan shows, it's not so much that I'm planning to go as it is um, like entertaining the idea of planning to go because I'm bad at like decision making and planning. So it's easier just to have like an idea in my head, but I do uh, I have family in Philly and in, uh, you know, Virginia there. So would be easy trips for both of those, but no, no concrete uh, decisions yet. All right. I, I think it's going to be a draw, but it's just interesting to me of, I don't know what, when, when I first thought of it, I was like, eh, I don't know. A TV taping doesn't really, I, mean, I know it's not a tape, but you know, it just doesn't really draw me in the same way a big event does. Well, it is also an East coast city. So like that's way easier for travel than like Florida or Dallas yeah. or like you get, you know, you can draw from New York, Philly, all those major seaboard cities. So we've been saying for a while that this was going to be called uh, dynamite. And then they recently trademarked or whatever. I'm not good at that. Uh, whatever the right word is. Wednesday night dynamite. But, trademarked. Is, is that yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh but that show name was never used in the press release that came out. Uh, all we know is Tony Khan said all elite wrestling would not be the name of the television show. So it looks like dynamite is a possibility. This is all according to Dave Meltzer, but there are other names being test marketed. I don't know. I've never been crazy about when they first started with Tuesday night dynamite. It's just kind of corny. But yeah. I thought All Elite Wrestling was kind of corny, and now I'm used to it, so I guess it really doesn't matter. I think All Elite Wrestling on TNT, I know that he immediately disqualified it. I think that sounds great. Like, you don't need to have, like, a weekly show name, like, especially one that's based off the past, even though in a lot of ways it's the inheritor that, of WCW. Like, just go, just call it your promotion name. I mean, it's what's going to be showing up in the TV guide. You want to have those yeah. names first. Like, you I don't, kind of agree with that. Yeah, like branding. Get your brand strong. Then you could yeah. think about like calling it like All Elite Wrestling uh, Spring Breakout. You know, if they do stuff on the beach, like you have a lot of options there. But just, I don't know. I never liked the Dynamite name. I always thought it was kind of corny. So if they're getting away from it, any uh, anything in my mind could be better. I say could, not would be because I didn't, because who knows what kind of bad name they'll pull out of their hat. It, I think really the, it doesn't really matter. Like the quality of the show will 
mean more than what the name of the show is. Like eventually the name of the show just stands in your head as a symbol for what the show is, right? Like think of how many bad band na- bad band names there are that don't even register to you as like a band name. It's just they mean that band, you know? This is from like my communications 101 course where it's like language equals symbols. You're right. I mean, I can't argue with you. No, I am right. Yes. So we know they're starting on October 2. And we learned that that means their debut will go head to head with Major League Baseball playoffs. And that's going to include several of the the next episodes, could even be a, a World Series game later on. Kind of a weird time to start this promotion, especially considering that Turner has parts of the MLB playoffs. Any thoughts about how this will or could cannibalize the audience or whether they should have started at a different time? Nah, I mean, you know, this is when the traditional TV starts. Like, traditional television is on broadcast. So, I mean, the fact that Turner has this would have been an issue if this was under the Turner Sports name. Like, this is under Warner Media, and this is part of TNT Drama. So, I would expect, if anything, actually, no, I'm going to stop myself there. They're not going to have them do an ad for a show on a different station in the middle of a baseball game. But, uh it's what it is. I mean, they're about to come to terms with it soon. I mean, luckily Wednesday kind of is one of the nights of the week where sports are least on. So it's not going to be a constant thing like Monday night football or Friday night with some college football games. So, I mean, it's what it is. I mean, if they draw a better number on 10 2 that's a better thing for their, uh, for, for just like the general future, the fact they're able to do that already. So. The, does, TBS not promote things on Turner? Like, do, do they advertise NBA games on TBS and stuff? They do, but not if it's going to be directly promoting against, like, the Major League Baseball playoffs or the World right. Series. Well, I think, yeah, it just means, like, they're not going to say, hey, like, you can generally. turn the channel to watch. No, but I mean, like, wrestling. if, you know, it's not going to be every every Wednesday, right? Like, the, the games will be alternating up day by day or whatever. Yeah, but it's like the it could be that three of the first four shows could be up against a, a playoff game, but you never know because it depends how series unfold right. and all that yeah. stuff. I yeah. mean, theoretically, I'm just imagining that there might be some thing where it works to their advantage and say, hey, you know, the, the game's on a Tuesday this week. So, hey, by the way, we've got all the wrestling on TNT tomorrow. Yeah. And then the you know, game comes back on Thursday or whatever the fuck. I don't know. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I don't know anything about baseball, so. Well, it's also possible that, you know, TBS ends up with, like, the 4 o'clock game or the mm-hmm. late, the 10 o'clock game, and so it's not as big of a deal. The interesting thing to me more, I guess, is that there's had there's been all this talk about viewing wrestling as live sports from the perspective of buying content and, and ad rates and those sort of things. But TNT is pretty explicitly not looking at AEW like a live sports property in that they didn't put it under TNT Sports or Turner Sports. They didn't put it in that division. I mean, they explicitly took it out of that division. And now they're starting it when it will be running against live sports. So I'm just kind of fascinated at how that all works. It's probably for the best that got taken out of Turner Sports, seeing what all they've canceled over the last month or so. Just RIP the starters. Well, the starters and then also the players Players only. only. Players Players only, only, baby. Yeah. So it, it makes sense, but like... I, I guess the thing is with baseball, at least 
there is the chance, as you were saying, that these could be four game sweeps, four game sweeps, and then the schedule can change, and it could be that this is very visibly an off day. But at the same time, they know what it's going to be and what it is. So, I mean, there has to be some, some level of anticipation. Now, I do think you're completely right, Aaron. It'll be interesting to see for ad buyers the fact that this is being marketed towards the drama department and not towards turn sports. Like, the ad rates at the Imagineer are a lot would be more lacking than if it was a live sports product. I also think it shows a bit of confidence from Turner. I think they're saying, hey, if you go up against a really big game and you don't do that well, we're not cutting you off after a couple of weeks. Like, we're going to let this play out, and we have confidence in this ultimately being successful. Because there's a, I mean, it's a real danger, I think, although I'm not sure what the baseball and AEW uh, audience crossover is. But obviously, they're going to be putting on uh, a big show with lots of big time talent and matches to try to draw the biggest number possible. So see how that goes. They've also said that going forward, I mean, we did talk about three to four thousand seat arenas, but uh, they're apparently telling Dave this week they're talking about six to eleven thousand seat arenas. Um, More importantly, I guess, for what we know is that the shows are actually going to start at seven thirty, I guess, in the in the arena. They'll have a warm-up match prior to the television show beginning. But I'm not going to count on this six to 11,000-seat arenas weekly until that happens. I mean, that seems yeah. a little wild. It, well, if, you, if, the, if you're aiming for 5,000, you know, three to 5,000, then you can do 6,000 and you can set it up so you know the three-fourths of the building around the hard cam is filled and it still looks great. Yeah, and the big problem, this is a problem about – north america for our listeners that aren't based in north america this isn't a situation like in europe where there's some great 2000 and 3000 seat venues there's just not very many of them that exist in north america basically it's arenas and if you're going to have like a 6000 seat arena that's usually a college basketball arena it's usually the mid-tier or low-tier venue in that city which you know for a situation like if you're going to go run the rumor I've heard is Philadelphia for the next week. I mean, you have other options than than the Wells Fargo Center just because you have all the different college basketball arenas in the area of the Palestra. There's a bunch of other places as well. But, you know, you can scale it down and you can make 4000 look like 8000 pretty easily. And you're not going to be losing money usually on that rental just because of a lot of these places, a lot of these arenas just sit vacant when there's no basketball games going on or there's sporting events there. So that's also a reason why New Japan was able to make money off their show in Dallas because they got a good deal because there was just nothing else happening in that venue at the time. So it'll be interesting. I'm the, the thing that I'm more worried about more so than the venues, because the venues, you can make it work, and we all know how that operates. I'm more worried about like this thing that I saw when they're announcing that they were going to have house shows. I was wondering, do you all think that this is a good idea, the house shows idea? Because I think it, I just like look at it, and it kind of goes contrary to a lot of things they said. When yeah, let's let's break down what they've said. The, the current goal, apparently, is to have 100 to 120 live events a year. That would be 51 television shows. Uh, so one, not one the week of Christmas, I think, is what they've said. Four pay-per-views. And then Saturday night house shows. And occasionally more than one house show a week. The talent would be spread out with the biggest and most used names working around 75 matches. The key goal is high match quality not most matches every week like other places. So, yeah, it does. I mean, they 
you can't just, I guess, work 55 shows a year with your your 51 television shows and your four pay-per-views. I, I can understand wanting more, you know, getting back more than that from the big investment they're putting into all these guys. But yeah, doing a house show, more than one house show a week sounds the opposite of what they've been telling us, that they don't want guys on the road. They don't want guys working a ton of matches, although it sounds like they're going to operate for that a little bit. Uh, but it also, aren't we learning right now that the house show business doesn't drive revenue in the way it used to, and it doesn't necessarily build these markets the way it used to. So I'm not sure that they gain anything by running the house shows and it's going to explode their operating costs. Yeah. So I guess the little bit of the surprise here is we were sort of under the impression that one of the selling points was not being on the road all the time, as you said, and that house shows were just not like a viable profit stream anymore so i guess the dollars the dollar side of it is is more what doesn't make sense to me the date side probably seems fine like if you're kenny omega or cody or the young bucks and you're working you know 75 dates 75 shows 75 matches out of 365 days in the year that seems fine to me like you know you're of course you've got travel on either side of that but if if they're not working every every run and they're not working every tour and they're getting time off in between there. Like that seems viable to me from their perspective. If you're the younger people on the roster, then you probably want them to get reps anyway. Like, you know, the, the younger people that are developing your uh, Kylie Ray's or private parties or whoever else, you probably want them getting a hundred matches a year just so they get the reps in and become better live show workers. Like that's why they have fucking, um, I don't even know Mia Yim down working in uh, bumfuck Largo or whatever there. So <laughs> uh, like the, the dates, as far as the guys, I can see how that would work. If you rotate guys in, you know, shift guys out of the spotlight when they're uh, not being focused on for the next uh, big pay-per-view build or whatever, I guess where I don't see, and you know, of course we're not privy to the numbers. I don't see how they draw enough on the house shows to make them viable while continuing to draw the big numbers that we want to see for the TV shows. Yeah, and on top of that, when you, we were talking about like the house shows, let me just propose what I suspect a schedule would be like for these wrestlers now. So Wednesday, you're probably going to be flying out to TV. So you'll get up in the morning, fly to the the city, like let's just say Washington, D.C. You'll have a show. You'll stay overnight. You'll fly back Thursday. You'll be home for a day and a half, and then be flying out again Saturday. You'll have a, vid, you'll have a show wherever it is on Saturday and then fly out Sunday. So you pretty much, when they're saying like, oh, we're not going to have a, uh, the, the quality of life is going to be so great. The quality of life is going to be so great. You're already putting them on four plane trips a week. If you're not having them already, just say, okay, we're driving to the next place, which would be ridiculous. And you're getting people who are hurt in cars going there. I'm just like looking at it and yes, it's 75 matches, but you also have to count on that. It's four plane flights a week, you have the hotel rooms, you have the fact that you're just completely off your schedule and you're still only getting about three and a half to four days at home. So that's where I like that, like price-wise, I mean, you're paying for double the plane flights, you're booking double the hotel rooms probably, and then you have double the arena deposits on house shows, which you're, you're I would expect you're not going to be charging the same price for a ticket for house show. You're not going to be getting an ad money off the house show unless it's for sponsorship things. So Going off Nate says, it just seems like that when you, if you take live events out and just run TV and pay-per-views and then like your other like big shows, 
it's not like you see where the cost is and the quality of life is the same like this. But now when you add a show from like Wednesday to Saturday, it just, I, it, it comes off what they said before a little bit false. And I'm just wondering how they're able to pull that off now. So I do the, certainly the travel is, is a little more, um, a little more of an obligation than expected, but if you're doing 50 weeks of TV, let's say Kenny Omega's on all 50 weeks of TV, and then he's doing 75 dates a year, so he's doing an additional 25 house show matches. He's only doing a house show every other week. So it's, you know, every other week you do two shows. I mean, that's not outrageous. Of course, the travel is, uh, you know, more of a headache every other week, but, you know, not the worst thing in the world. Um, that also, I imagine, or I would hope that this makes their video and event production and build production easier because you get all those guys in the building another day a week so you can film more promos backstage for your next road to and you can film promos for your next television and pre-shoot that stuff like on the house show circuit maybe you know so you're not um doing all these pre-tapings on the day of tv and stuff like that um but yeah just don't have the information but yeah uh the if, if they think the dollars work then i guess that's the motivation um but yeah we're just not privy to that it leads to a big question for me, which we've talked about on this show before, which is who's paying for transportation? Who's paying for the hotels? I have yet to hear an answer about that. Well, I think we'll have another chance, perhaps coming up here soon, <laughs> ask people some questions. Yeah. And I want to know who's paying for these guys to uh, get places. I mean, I understand. I'm sure that AEW is flying them to wherever. And I mean, yeah, they better be. <laughs> you know, They better be. They got to be flying them there. I mean, Are they paying for their hotels? If they're driving to the next town for house shows, is AEW paying for that? Or is AEW, you know, buying a bus and moving everybody together in one bus or two buses like they should? Uh, Got to know the answer to that question. It's terribly important. And is there a big difference between what's happening for Chris Jericho and what's happening for Kylie Ray? Right. And know. on top of that is, are you providing per diem? What are you doing for meals? Like there's That's a right. lot of, That's there's right. a lot of things that if this was a unionized sports shop, that things would be expected, would be expected because there'd be a CBA there. Or if you are part of the screen actors guild or equity, you get certain things that, are, that, that have to be there because of that. Like what's going to be your medical situation? What's going right. to be well, like post-care? Like there's a lot we of, know, we know that some of these wrestlers are employees, right? So they are getting reimbursed on these. If nothing else, they're getting reimbursed yeah. for hotels, for mileage, et cetera. Uh, so it be, it's going to be interesting to see the people who aren't considered employees, mm -hmm. and they should all be employees, the people who aren't considered employees, what are they What are they getting? How is the trans being handled? I think one thing we can say for certain is, yes, there's going to be a difference between your Kylie Rays and your Chris Jerichos, because um, we've seen already, uh, first of all, in terms of, some people are employees, some people aren't. Um, we also have like John Moxley just got announced for a match with GCW after the exclusivity date that everybody else is being held to seemingly uh, for this promotion. So if you're a big star, seems like you, uh, you know, get, have some more leverage. And that's fine. I just, I mean, I get that. Obviously it makes sense. You have to give Moxley certain things to get him to sign a, a mostly exclusive deal with you. But I just want to feel confident that, you know, it's like in WWE where CM Punk can get a... Oh, shit, I said I'd never talk about him on this show again. You did it. You did I it. Did. Yeah, where CM Punk says... Now we have to talk about him. 
I get in my contract, you know, a bus or Randy Orton, same thing. When Titus O'Neil is driving his ass uh, between the towns on his own dime, you know, so I I just, that's what I'm more interested in. Yes. I appreciate that. Chris Jericho is probably going to get a nicer, he might get a nicer hotel room. He might get a nicer ride to the next town or whatever, but everybody's got to get a ride is all I'm saying. Yeah. And that's something you see in traditional sports within their own CBA. Like you negotiate, like I remember the big thing about Albert Pujols when he signed with the LA Angels of Anaheim was that he got, he made sure that he always gets, when he's not flying with the team, first class seats, he always gets a suite. He does not share a room on road trips. Like these are the things that are expected inside a unionized sport. And all these people should be in a union. There's people on this on this roster who are members of the Screen Actors Guild, if not further unions. So there's a lot of questions I feel like need to be asked. Unionize the boys. All right. Let's talk about All Out. We talked about it a little bit, but that's the next big show coming up. August 31. We will all be there, I believe. So the road to All Out 2 came out this week. It starts with Tully Blanchard. He's talking about Sean Spears. Says Spears called him. Asked him how he could get his career to the top. He'd been underutilized to this point. And Tully told him that you got to take out one of the Rhodeses. So he says that uh, Sean brought in Tully because of his history with Dusty. And Tully says he knows what makes the Rhodes family tick. But he's very clear to say this isn't about a grudge that I have with the Rhodes family. All that's in the past. I just think this guy's really good and I want to help him. Obviously, there's going to be more to that. Uh, I guess Dave picked up some fan speculation that maybe Arn Anderson would ultimately appear on the other side of this match because Arn is probably sitting out a uh, non-compete right now with WWE. So I don't know. For me, you can imagine Cody loving that idea, having Arn and Tully there. And I would also love it as an old uh, WCW mark. I would uh, be overjoyed to see Arn and Tully. It was funny. They did identify him with the little bug as a horseman when they were talking to Tully Blanchard yeah. in this, which was curious. Um, his, I don't think his verbiage or explanation of his motivation or whatever was like super compelling. Like, I, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to chew on there. Um, but I do, he's got a good presence and look and like obviously has all his wits about him and has like some gravitas to him, I guess. So uh, I, I think nice little uh, addition to the Sean Spears act and on the topic of Sean Spears, like the heel Sean Spears, you know, with a chip on his shoulder about this disrespect and stuff, considerably better and more interesting character than the babyface Sean Spears, you know, with his nice, fast green car and green scarf and shit. So that's <laughs> a plus, at least. I really like this. I thought that Tolly was always one of the more underrated promos and mid-Atlantic slash uh, Jim Crockett slash WCW. So I liked him this I definitely also knowing how Cody is. This might just be me, and he is one of my favorite managers. See, I got a little bit of a Gary Hart vibe from him a little bit, like that he was just being calculating. He was very clear with his words. I mean, is this the same thing about when he was talking about how he when he was TV champ back in the day in the studio? No, like this isn't the same thing there, but I thought this was really kind of cool. I thought that was really pointed having him identified as a horse a horseman there. So I'm down with it. I've always been a totally fan. And I think that this was a pretty rad segment and I know that he's not signed full time. I know that's like a couple appearances they have here, but when you have someone like him around when, who has this history, 
why not try to get as much content with this guy out as as possible like have him on every single road to all out just like basically like doing promos like this and i thought this was another great job of that looked like they probably recorded it right after the interview that we saw last week yeah it was definitely at the tia field like last week's last week's one which hey it's a cool place to shoot interviews with so go ahead and do it you got to respect how good they are i mean we've seen it with bte for a long time but how good they are at planning ahead on their content and being able to get it all in the can at one time and roll it out over long periods of time yeah that was um and i sort of alluded to that uh earlier talking about them you know making their content production efficient when they have additional dates the this period of bta bte has kind of been lacking in that regard because the bucks aren't on the road all the time and so a lot of the segments are like hey which of our other guys happened to be booked on the same show this weekend like oh su's booked on the same show as mjf or whatever they can do a little segment about it so uh, hopefully we'll see more continuity when all these guys are like on the road together and able to put stuff together like that um because yeah that was a that was a selling point of bte when they were planning these ring of honor stories out weeks and months in advance that way but has not been quite as much of that just i think as logistical stuff we see Jen Decker trying to interview Darby Allen after the six-man tag at Five for the Fallen, but Jimmy Havoc and Joey Janela attack Darby. They're all uh, kind of mad at each other. Well, apparently they're mad at Darby, you know, over losing the match. And so they're going to have a match. We see Joey Janela yell at Darby that he's waited 14 years for this contract and he's 0-2. And so we get an announcement after that that at All Out, it will be Darby Allen versus Jimmy Havoc versus Joey Janela in a triple threat match. Yeah. I three, I'm sorry, a, a three-way dance. Three, did they, which did they say? Did they say either? They just put all three on there, right? Damn. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the match, uh, you know, Jimmy Havoc, whatever. Um, Darby and Joey should be good. Um, and I guess it's, you know, Jimmy Havoc is a little bit of a wild card and twist to throw in there. So it's not just running back a PWG match or whatever. But the brawl itself, I thought was, pretty good they had a you know nice little segment here um you get them selling the wins and losses thing with joey being pissed that he's 0-2 now um is that correct he's 0-1 right because the moxie match doesn't count it's supposed to not count unsanctioned yeah there's been three shows right has he had another match Uh, oh battle royal doesn't count i guess yeah um, so he's 0-1, but not, nonetheless, he has the perception of being 0-2, I guess. But, you know, and, he and they would also, believe he's 0-2, right? Sure. I can buy that. Um, but yeah, you know, as far as the, the work of the brawl itself was pretty good. Like they, they had a nicely timed thing where they pulled down the backdrop. They did a nice move where like Jimmy threw Darby into a security guy as he approached and Darby did a full flip bump onto him. Um, but then they still like broke it apart relatively quickly. So it's like there's still a heat there. It's not a, you know, a, a ad nauseum knockdown drag out sort of thing it's like okay we got the heat we see the motivation now we have the match it's funny seeing how small joey janela was next to billy gunn <laughs> I, I i liked how like audibly you could hear bryce remsburg shout out take a hike i've noticed that he he does that a lot during this backstage thing he, he tells whoever it is to take a hike I, I enjoy that a lot you're never we're never going to get joey to unblock the account if you keep talking about his uh you know his stature. I mean, Billy Gunn, remember when he's in New Japan, he was like three feet taller than everybody. Oh, Billy Gunn's a huge dude. And yeah, he's well, also like jacked up on steroids. Obviously. Right. He's, he's secretly huge. So, you know, uh, Joey, I thought the line about, you know, waiting 14 years, that was great. You got to unblock the account. It was very well delivered. I mean, it, I was like, 
when I heard that this match was coming, I wasn't that excited about it. But this did help a little bit to be like, oh, Joey seems really pissed about the fact that they lost this match. And I can buy that as motivation going into this. So, hey, Joey, like, cares. Well, this is a different aspect of Joey Janela. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's good. All right. Friend of the show, Chris Van Vliet, is in the AEW Control Center. He's uh, replaced Tony Schiavone, I suppose. There was some uh, bickering, I guess, involving MLW owner Court Bauer and Tony Schiavone showing up on AEW. MLW contracts are fake. Everyone rebel against them. Yeah, I mean, MJF is under an MLW contract and still signed a five-year contract with AEW, as we'll discuss. But yeah, they're fake. Um, but, you know, the, Tony's just got to call Court Bauer and be like, hey, I'm pretending you're, you know, we're equivalent wrestling promoters here. Let me use Tony. So Chris Van Vliet recaps the John Moxley-Kenny Omega feud, and then we get a Moxley interview, uh, another very good interview from uh, Moxley. He says that Kenny Omega is like a myth He's been uh, making art 60-minute classics in Japan while Moxley was throwing pies in people's faces. Uh, but then he says he doesn't necessarily buy the myth, but he's, I like this, but he's going all around Japan learning about Kenny Omega. I just love being able to tie that in. He says uh, he, he thinks Kenny Omega thinks he's a joke, but it's not going to be funny when I break your jaw. I'm trying to hurt you. I'm trying to injure you, and I'm going to. This was good and believable. I liked it. This was oh, yeah. This was great. Um, but everything that you noted about the justifying the Japan thing and setting up Kenny is like, uh, oh, you know, he's like this urban legend in the business that everybody raves about. And I'm going to go see what the fuck it's all about because he's been too busy doing his comedy sketches. Um, yeah, a lot of like just believable stuff there. And also it sets up a, a good motivation for Moxley to be like into kicking his ass. Um, it was all good. The 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 you know, I'm going to injure you and I'm super violent and I'm the purveyor of violence and all that stuff. That stuff kind of wears a little bit thin after you've heard it in all of his promos. But I, I think Moxley's still like the top English language promo right now. All right. That is the road to All Out. Obviously, there'll be a lot more to preview All Out as it gets closer, as we get all the matches. Let's talk about some talent news that we got this week. Riho, our good friend, friend of the show, Riho. She was at the July 24 Stardom Corican Hall show and announced that she is going to be with Stardom going forward, uh, starting at the next Corican. So she's apparently not going to be on the tour in between Corican's, but will be on the August Corican. And according to Dave Meltzer, from this point forward, she will be exclusive to Stardom and AEW. Now, Aaron, did you see the segment or any photos of the segment? I haven't seen anything from the segment. So all you know is that Riho is in stardom, correct? That's right. Okay. For the listeners, uh, no one has kept staying out of spoilers as strongly and as avidly as Aaron Bentley. So it, listeners, you might want to go take a look at it to see what Nate's insinuating. Both of us know what he's referring to, and we're just going to leave our sweet short king in the dark here. <laughs> so if you don't watch stardom, what happens is their shows do not run live. And then they put up about one match a day on their streaming service after the show. Sometimes we're lucky, like for this Corican, they got up the semi-main event the next day. But since then, they've uploaded the first and second matches of the show rather than putting up the main event. So that's a little frustrating. 
so if you don't want to be spoiled, and it's just always better, in my opinion, to watch wrestling unspoiled, you have to go to great lengths. So I mute like every term possibly related to the matches I'm interested in on Twitter, mute all the accounts I think are going to tweet about it or like post a picture or the worst thing that can happen with stardom is somebody will post something that's in Japanese. So, you know, I can't have muted it, but it will have a picture of like somebody holding up the belt. They just won. And I'm like, fuck. So anyway, it's hard to watch stardom if you care about spoilers. So I haven't seen Riho yet. Yeah. We need live stardom. Yeah. They've been toying around with the stuff that happens before the show, streaming it live, like on, on Twitter. And so I have no idea if that, means they're going to do anything live. But a lot of Japanese companies are streaming their shit live. So come on. Yeah, I mean, well, And they did the thing with Fight for Mania Weekend. Um, yeah, I don't, realistically, I don't know. Like, New Japan World runs CMLL shows on there and shit, and they always get their partner promotions. You know, their VODs after the fact. We just need, like, Bushiroad to cut a deal. Like, hey, well, you know, we're, you're not on our TV network, obviously, but we need more content for our little network. We just, you know, we're not buying you out. We just want to have a deal to put your shit on here. Let's start and be the, uh, you know, evolve to New Japan's WWE. I think it has to do with the translations. They translate all the promos and all the post-match promos. Which is very helpful. That's true. It is, but put the live feed up or put the raw feed up. And then later you can go back and add the translations and the geeks like me will go back and watch it again to see the translations. Because you don't get commentary anyway. Yeah. So who I'm cares? Dragon Gate for their non-big shows and non-Corkins, they just have a single hard cam that just airs the raw footage, and it's not much different than what Stardom World has for their production capability. And, I mean, they're able to have stuff up immediately and have live shows, but it's also Dragon Gate Network, which has its own litany of issues there. But, I mean, Dragon Gate also now, for all their live shows, they go and they stream immediately to matches free on YouTube. Like, you have opportunities here, so... But come on, Sonny. Get even, Noah, even Noah is putting shit on YouTube, but Noah's, you know. Noah's a borderline <laughs> fake company at this point. <laughs> it is. It's like just barely above like um zero, zero dove, one at the Dove Pro. Dove Pro. <laughs> no, dove is completely real. I am not allowed <laughs> anything contrary to say there, but my whole zero one is a fake company is something that if we ever do like our own special spin-off content, I will sit down for 20 minutes with you all and explain. Line by line, why I think Zero One is a completely fake wrestling company. Zero One runs one real show a year, and it's on New Year's Day. And it's always at the... Uh, no, that's a different show. I'm thinking about the other show that they have. Hey, at, Zero yeah. One has the United States uh, uh, satellite promotion here. <laughs> that's right. In Chicago. Saw that we saw their title get uh, defended, so I don't know. It seems pretty real. It's pretty real. <laughs> that's pretty that's real. Fair. That's fair. I'm just always like itching for content right around New Year's Day, and this... Zero one show will go up quickly, and I always watch the main event, and then I never watch another match of theirs all year. All right, MJF. We talked about this a little bit, but he AEW announced that he signed an extension, converting to a new multi-year agreement. But Dave Meltzer reported in the Observer that it's a five-year deal. I thought this was interesting because the other reporting we've gotten on other talent were the longest I heard were three-year deals. So kind of intrigued by why the length on this deal. Yeah, good for him. I mean, it's a uh... I mean, it makes me think that a lot of these deals are convertible, which, again, that's another thing that when you're signing these contracts, make sure you you have a lawyer go over them. But, good. For, I mean, he's super young, and having him locked up for five years, assuming that the promotion continues to be success, is a great thing, for at least from AEW standpoint. Yeah, I mean, this is like, 
you know, big, I mean, we already knew he was tagged to be a future main event sort of star in this company. Um, so yeah, this just confirms that. And really he's the guy who's like outperformed my expectations, I think, cause I, he's better suited for this major league televised pro wrestling than he is like the Indies just cause of how much he leans on his character and, and, uh, everything there. Also, he has really huge arms. You notice how big his arms have gotten. I mostly just noticed that really bad tattoo he has. Does not come to mind, but, uh, yeah, he's been hitting the gym for his big, uh, TNT oh, yeah. debut. Hey man, he looks good. And when they posted the video of him doing pull-ups, legit pull-ups, not anything that he was cheating there. I was, I was impressed with his pull-up form is all I'm saying. Wasn't this CrossFit bullshit where you like swing your legs, you know, mm. I'll get a mad tweet about that. Probably Pac has dropped the dream gate. Open the Dreamgate Championship? Is that what it's called? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yes, Aaron, it is. Bail, the- bail him out, please. Sorry, I don't think you have to open the Dragon Gate to be uh, good. No, we're not, no, 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 we're not going through that, Aaron. Yeah, so Pac, as I've been saying since the existence of the show, Pac has dropped the Open the Dreamgate title. It happened on the 21st from their big Kobe World Show. If you're someone who follows me on Twitter, you already knew this already. And... This has also been in news that now they're talking more about Pac to AEW because the quote-unquote creative differences. As someone who's been saying this the whole entire time, sure, creative distance differences, that, that's a convenient way to cov- to uh, make things make sense. So they might say that they're, it's going to happen. We'll see. I'm not confident about that. Some Luchasaurus news, the real ace of AEW. So apparently... A promotion in Alabama called New Era Wrestling flew out or planned. They booked Luchasaurus. They were going to fly him out for an August 10 date, had him booked in June. And they got an email from him on July 18th and told him that told them that AEW had pulled him. That they said they had to do a meet and greet, which is interesting, by the way. Like it does start to seem like Luchasaurus made this up. They said they pulled him for a meet and greet on August 10th and he wasn't going to be able to do it. So the promoter, the Alabama promoter goes on Twitter, tags all the uh, main people in AEW, posts his email address and phone number for everyone to see, hoping that one of these people will contact him. Uh, Today, or no, not today, two days ago, that promoter posted an update where he got a second email from Luchasaurus giving a, a new explanation that basically Luchasaurus was given the choice of whether he wanted to do this show by EW and decided not to, but wanted the booker to know that Peter Avalon was still available. <laughs> <laughs> Very good stuff. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's good if they're giving him the choice, but uh, yeah, I guess Luchasaurus doesn't make his company look very good by framing it like that. Kind of sounds like Luchasaurus just didn't want to do this booking and uh, decided to come up with a way to get out of it. Well, I got, I, I've been surprised a lot of these guys have been taking as many bookings as they have because, I mean, especially the fucking Lucha Brothers. Lucha Brothers are seems like they're working five days a week. They just got announced for the AEW tournament the weekend of All Out. So they're literally working two dates for AEW, then a ladder match at AEW, then Warrior Wrestling the, the next night. Like, aren't these guys supposed to be, like, making – TV money soon? Like, why are they still working themselves to the bone? It's crazy to me. Well, they're all supposed to be already getting paid, right? So, yeah. So, I I mean, I don't know. I guess if you're like the best friends and you want to show up at GCW and have fun, that's like cool. I, but yeah, I'm surprised, you know, once I got that big money deal, I'd be, uh, 
not doing that. <laughs> I guess they figure it's not going to last forever, so might as well make it while you can. That's true. Uh, Cody and MJF, as we talked about last week, were in AAA the same night we were recording. So yeah. I did not watch that, but uh, tell us what you saw, Mike. Uh, it was fine. I mean, there was a big promo because the <laughs> one of the big storylines about uh, – Triple A is that Conan's back, and whenever Conan's in charge, he's like a heel manager slash booker. And he made a big deal about Cody showing up to the show previously, but how Cody thinks he runs things in the United States. You can't come in the, my country without you, no, without you giving me a heads up. And then they had a match where that they the, the crowd didn't really get the whole shtick with MJF. It, it was a fine match. I thought it was okay, but it just was like like Nate it, MJF was trying to like vamp on camera like basically the idea is whenever cody's back was turned mjf was being a, a dickhead so but it didn't come across in the crowd the aguas calientes crowd did not really get it because that's kind of a thing for triple a that they don't know who they are so it'll be interesting this was the last big show before triple mania on the third uh nate did you have any big thoughts about this yeah no pretty much everything you said was correct the weird thing about the match was like you had two rudos against cody who was being set up to be a baby face because he's going to be the big baby face for this match with psycho clown and Kane Velasquez. Um, but then you had MJF who is, you know, always in his heel character. So he was also being a Rudo basically. So the crowd got behind the Mexican team because it's a Mexican crowd and you had a half heel team from the United States invading basically. Um, but there was one really good spot where uh, Daga and MJF, uh, you know, went to shake hands and, Basically, they wouldn't shake hands. They like spit in each other and low blowed each other and kicked each other in the nuts. And it finally decided to shake hands right as they were both falling to the mat, having uh, been impressed by each other's heel tactics, I guess. But yeah, uh, you know, kind of a typical AAA show. All the good shit was on the undercard. Uh, Cody did sh shout out Big Mommy on Twitter. So that was encouraging. Kylie Ray, we talked about her last week, the fact that she seemed to have gone missing. And there was a report from Dave that she was having some medical issues. So three days ago, she pops up her first post since June 17 and says, hi there. It's a, a quote tweet. Hi there. For some major news coming, go to at AEW on TNT and hit follow. Smiley emoji. So this did not at all feel like someone who had been kidnapped and was uh, doing a proof of life tweet so they could garner ransom. Uh, very strange. She still hasn't liked any posts since June 17. And has made no other posts. So who knows what's going on with Kylie Ray? They've been very well could have been somebody at AEW tweeting that from her account because that's oh, almost what certainly they do, was. So, yeah. Yeah. Strange. Okay. We learned this in the observer. Dr. Michael Sampson, who was a longtime WWE doctor, and according to Dave, the guy who saved Jerry Lawler's life, is now the head physician at AEW. Not sure that like getting WWE's doctors is uh, is anything I'd crow about. Yeah, well, it's, it's not Chris Amand, mm -hmm. and it's not the uh, the main heel from Concussion. So right. out of the right. out of the set of known doctors, I guess they picked the best one because he saved a life that time. And it's not the guy who was technically a doctor, but I think he was a doctor who let Nick Foley go back out in the ring during the Hell in a Cell match. So yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean they've been poaching people from. ROH, Impact, and now from WWE. So there you go. One last random note from The Observer. Fighter Fest ended up being the second biggest event ever on BR Live. The only event the service has ever had that added more subscribers 
was the day they did the Tiger Woods versus Phil Mickelson head-to-head match this past November. So that's excellent. That's, I'm sure that's exactly what uh, BR Live was hoping for or Turner was hoping for. So it uh, bodes well for the future of AW on the streaming platform. Okay, we skipped this last week, so we're going to get into it this week. OWE going on the road, Mike. Yeah, so a really cool thing about OWE over the last few months is that they, other than the shows that they have been doing in Shanghai and they've done some in Taiwan, there was a show they had today in Singapore. They've been doing more collaboration with the rest of the wrestling world. And there are a couple shows coming up here that are kind of interesting just because of how, one, how the spheres of wrestling operate. And for two, there's a lot of interesting matchups on one of these weekends of shows. So they, they have two very busy weekends coming up ahead. First, they'll be in Germany for WXW. There's a Strong Hearts match where that's, of course, Shima, T-Hawk, and El Lindemann going against the uh, trio of Absolute Andy, who is their former WXW United World uh, Heavyweight Champion, and the tag team of JFK of Jay Skillet and Francis Caspian. If you're listening to this and you're in Germany and you're interested in see Stronghearts, there's still tickets available there. It's that show, I think it's an Oberhausen. And then the next day, T Hawk and Lindemann are in another tag match against a team called the Pretty Bastards. I couldn't find out a whole lot about them. I've I've seen some of Absolute Andy and JFK, and that will be a really kind of cool matchup. So if you're someone who subscribes to WXW now, it's worth checking that out. That's gonna be a show on the third. However, what's going to be really cool coming up, and there is an availability for fans to get the shows. They're not going to be live, but they're going to be on Fight TV soon after, is OWE is putting on their own shows in Toronto, Canada. The, over the uh, it, it starts in the midweek, but it's kind of like a whole like weekender thing that Smash Wrestling is doing in that second week of August, and there's going to be an OWE show on Wednesday, August 7th at 3 p.m., and then they'll have another show on August 10th at 3 p.m. Tickets are still on sale. I know there are promo codes going out there, but there's some matches here that actually have some pretty big AEW implications on there, including one that is Shima and Christopher Daniels teaming up against Private Party on the 7th, which is a match that I think is going to be really kind of cool. That This is also going to have the match that I freaked out earlier of, of T-Hawk and Elinaman versus the Dark Order. They managed to scoop this match from AEW which I think is a pretty wild thing to happen. And then another match that I'm really looking forward to on the show, and if you're someone who's hoping to see not just Stronghearts, there was the first instance of a visa being granted for one of the Chinese wrestlers in OWE as Gao Jingxia, who has done some dates, and he did a, sh- a date in Dragon Gate. He's done other things in Japan. He'll be making his North American debut that week, and he has two awesome matches. The match on the 7th is against Speedball, Mike Bailey, which is a match that can actually really only happen in Toronto right now just because of how things work out. So that's going to be pretty rad. Also on that show is Alexander James, who's from WXW and was trained in CZW, going against Rekka, who is a Taiwanese former DDT wrestler who's been with OWE for the last few weeks. There will be another kind of Stronghearts match on the 9th on the WXW show as T-Hawk and Linda Men will be going against Aussie Open and Jordan Simmons and Alexander James. The last show for OWE on this weekend is on August 10th at 3 p.m. And there's a lot of kind of singles matches on the show, but there's a couple of interesting matches on there. If you're someone who really likes BTE, so this is a match for Nate's heart, 
uh, Kaz and Sky of SEU will be going against Rekka and Gaia Hawks, who were the people that when they were over in Shanghai, when they did the Shanghai China Uncensored video, Nate, these are the two of the guys in that. So they will be facing off to see which a SEU is better. And they've done a little promo video of that. So that's going to be a cool one. Uh, T-Hawk will be going against Daniel Garcia, who is a big wrestler from Buffalo. If you remember a couple months back when there was that terrible car car wreck with those Buffalo or upstate New York guys, he was one of the guys in there and he's back. He's really kind of cool. And he'll be going against T-Hawk in a singles match. Brandon Cutler will be going against El Lindeman. And then, Gao Jingxia will have like his second of this like mini trial series against Sammy Guevara. So if you're in Toronto over this weekend, please go out and check out these shows. There's a lot of intriguing things there. And if you're not going to be there, the shows, I, I don't think they're going to be live on Fight TV, but they will be on soon after. And I will definitely be watching this. And if we have some downtime in the weeks leading up to All Out, I'll talk about the matches I've seen there. So. Really think uh, did a good job. You know, hard to sell a show on OWE when people don't know the talent because it's not <laughs> like a, a product that's caught on here or anything at all. So I think it's really did a pretty good job of mixing those guys in with known quantities in the West and, you know, getting Speedball and Sammy Guevara and, uh, you know, the Dark Order and, and these guys that are big in Canada on their show. So, yeah, no, I think it's going to be really cool. I think them scooping AEW on Dark Order versus Strong Hearts is gonna be something like looking back it'd be like hey they got this match first i think that'd be really cool all right that's owe and that leads us to a bte recap nate um all right bte escalera de la muerte uh which i believe means ladder death muerte muerte sure i got a lot uh, of comments about how you pronounced meta last week by the way what did i say meta meta meta, meta? Meta? <laughs> He's okay. Around. Yeah. Just meta. Meta. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of in the terms of uh, games where we talk about the the meta. Yeah, I guess meta is great. When was I talking about the meta last week? I can't remember, but you said something was. Very uh, I was talking meta. about a, a a good how something was an interesting match from a meta perspective. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway, muerte. Hey, words are tough. They are. They are tough. All right, so we open with Peter Avalon. Now he's having his uh, his crack at the librarian thing. Now he goes in to meet with uh, his superiors or whatever about the gimmick. He, he thinks it's dumb, but we are, find out that it's the pointy guys with the pointy hands uh, from originally being record producers to Marty Skrull, uh, and they they think it's gold. They think that it's another great gimmick in the tradition of professional wrestling, like the garbage guy or the dead guy who doesn't sell and his burnt up brother, which is a little funny uh, brothers of destruction reference, which always amuses me because it reminds me of when the young bucks were uh, indie taker and corporate cane. Um, yeah, corporate cane amuses me. Uh, and then uh, they go on, they take a bunch of, you know, uh, little funny shots of the WWE, talk about how there's a whole team of writers that are crafting the story of the librarian. They quote Vince McMahon by way of John Moxley and say, this is really good shit. Uh, and then one of them sneezes and the other one's like, it's only Mark sneeze. So, uh, you know, taking some shots of Vince, everybody loves it. Um, and then we cut to Marco Stunt, who is sitting on a couch or something. And Billy Gunn goes to sit on him because he's very small. Billy Gunn's arms in this thing, man. He's fucking huge. He's very large. He's a large man. 
one of the largest people I've ever seen in person. Like when you like go up next to Billy Gunn, you're like, this guy is not of this earth. He's enormous. Uh, let me get uh, Private Party. They're celebrating that full-time contract that they got. And they also mentioned that they got a bonus. And they go to give each other a high five. But Rick Knock comes around the corner and sees them doing the high five. And he calls it as a tag. So this is continuing a little bit where Rick Knox keeps being a referee all the time, even when there's not matches. Uh, so he makes them switch spots, which is kind of a funny payoff to acting out the tag. They have to just switch where they're standing with each other. Oh, I see you've come around on Cara's point that these bits are actually good. I like the, uh, as with a lot of things in BT, I like the premise. The execution is not always great. The one that I complained about in particular was doing one with Sean Spears right after his big heel turn. That was dumb to me, to uh, in point of fact. Uh, now we go back to Marco. He runs into a boy and his dinosaur, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Uh, Jungle Boy is seemingly fascinated with him because he's smaller than Jungle Boy. Uh, and Luchasaurus says, hey, I've dealt with being bullied for 65 million years, so we have your back. So I guess this is them justifying the pairing that we saw on the Fight for the Fallen show. Um, uh, just an interesting side note here. Luchasaurus was, in fact, the guy who uh, blew the whistle on Bill DeMott and his bullying in NXT. You know, I didn't put two and two together about that until just now. So this is a established Luchasaurus canon that he is anti-bullying. We are very pro-canon on this podcast, so I appreciate you clarifying that, Nate. My pleasure. Uh, da, da, da. Now we go to a Dark Order promo. It starts with Evil Uno, and he talks about how they're going to go to All Out and get the bye. They're going to go straight to the summit of tag team wrestling. It's a little um, dissonant having these you know, spooky dark order guys just talk about like <laughs> straightforward wins and losses and things. But uh, I guess that's kind of necessary when you're doing the gimmick and Stu Grayson pops in to say, we're the best tag team in the world, uh, which of course is really the central unifying theme of all the tag matches and feuds to this point is they all want to prove that they're the best tag team in the world. Uh, we go to the BTE mailbag with the goofy bad jingle right at the top. Uh, Hangman Adam Page is asked if he will ride a fucking horse to the ring. Uh, and it seems like this is something that he has proposed and discussed, uh, but it's been a no so far. So uh, uh, he's not happy about it, but uh, maybe someday. I mean, if Jeff Jarrett did it, then I wouldn't, I don't see why they can't make it work for Hangman. And then we get a question from the Harry Wrestling fan, the, you know, one of the strongest brands on all of Twitter. Got to respect the brand. And he asks about Adam Page's former students. Of course, he was formerly a teacher um, before he went full-time with Ring of Honor. Uh, and asks about, you know, have any of them followed up with you now that you're a big star and super handsome and all this stuff? Uh, Adam Page actually gives a funny answer, which is rare on the BT mailbag, and says, you know, if any of them uh, reach out to me, I'll give you free tickets so you can come see AEW, except Deontay, who can suck it. Which my is I'm sorry. My favorite part of this was when Adam started answering the question and he said, well, Harry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, he's got, he's got the, he's got the personality. They just got to figure out how to yeah, give him more spots to shine or something. Yeah. And he's always kind of been the best person at these mailbag segments. Like everyone else kind of feels like put on about this. But Paige is like genuinely has like a good sense of humor that we see. Like he give him the horse. Let's give Hangman a horse. Like there's any way we can get like a, a big hashtag campaign about this going. I think we can because he just seems like a genuinely funny guy. And it's just weird to just this disconnect that we've talked about with him. We got to find out more about Deontay and what happened. 
<laughs> and perhaps bring in Deontay for a program. Yeah, yes. bring Deontay on the show. Absolutely. Deontay, you know, DM us. Um, I should also, <laughs> yeah. No, it, I meant yeah. bring him on the show to wrestle Adam Page. But oh, sure, he should come on our... No, that would be great to, if we could break the story yeah, of what Deontay to, did. Exactly. Holy shit. That'd be a scoop. Yeah. And oh, I wanted to note, like, yeah, Adam Page also, like, you know, genuinely has a sense of humor, except he did the tweet today, which we're not discussing, but it was a reference to a person we're not discussing, and it wasn't very funny, which makes me think mm. that was it meant to be funny or is it just petty or what motivated that? If it had been funnier, then I would have understand that you're just doing it for the laugh. But anyway, I'm not allowed to talk about it, I guess. We're not discussing that. And we go to Michael Nakazawa. I think this is his BTE mailbag debut. He appears to be like in Jabaley's control center or something. Yeah. It's like it's weird. Yeah, that was definitely Jabaley's house. I've seen it in other videos okay. before between him and Kenny and all the fucking Funko Pops. Yeah, lots of figures and shit, a CEO chair. Um, he's asked if there will be a mid-card title. He says he hopes there will, but he has no chance to win a mid-card title. He hopes maybe there will be a pre-show title. Mike, any thoughts on pre-show titles? I mean, I know DDT had the King of the Dark match. I mean, of course, there is the most important title to have ever existed, the Open the Ware Gate title, which I think Alan Forel and Kaslo figured out that the lineal champion of the Open the Ware Gate is Kenta. So maybe that can make its way somehow through like Moxley winning and then Moxley wins out and he brings the Ware Gate back. I mean... It did have a theme song that was taken out of the Mario Brothers, so that might be some copyright issues. I thought you were going to tell me that Alan Forel held the Open the Oara Gate title at some point, which I would have believed. No, no, this isn't like DDT where they let anyone hold the uh, the uh, extreme title. The, there is established rules to how the Oara Gate operated. It, you don't have to win the match, however, to win the title. So that makes me think that you can't really track a lineal champion, right? I mean, they figured it out. So I, I trust them on this. I mean, if they're going to try to figure out how the Wari gate works, maybe it was a crowd response because that's how it's supposed to operate. So. Right. So, I, I, But then <laughs> I don't think it works. You can't, you can't do it. You can't do a linear title into New Japan on these specific rules. Anyway. This was uh, funny. Michael Nakazawa was good. It was fine. Uh, and then we get uh, Kenny. He's also in the uh, Funko Bunker. And he is asked if he's allowed to do the bang gimmick. This was a silly question. Um, but he says, no, yeah, I'm still, I can do the bang gimmick. I just said boing because it was a gun violence show. Obviously. Uh, da -da, I didn't note anything else there. All right. And then we get the Bucks. They're doing a black and white promo about the Lucha Brothers ladder match that they were challenged to presented as though it's supposed to be super intense and everything with the black and white and them standing against a wall and like you know being intense into the camera about all the crazy things they've done and their ladder wars etc um that doesn't not really their strong shoot suit they also did the weird thing where they were shooting it from the side while they talk into a central camera which they did in that joey janela promo it just drives me crazy like it doesn't make you look more intense to be like this for me to see your profile instead of your face i don't know um, so yeah, they, they do. And then they, you know, give up on it and make a joke about, uh, you know, they, they say something about Pentagon junior having zero testicles and Matt says, Oh yeah, I used Google translate in order to make that joke. Uh, so yeah, that's the, the bucks we know and love. And yeah, that was BT pretty, pretty snappy episode. 
Yeah, not a bad one. And uh, went through it pretty quickly. All right. Yeah. I think that's all the AEW and Elite Extended Universe news from this week. I can't think of anything else. Okay. Well, I guess we'll shut it down here. So make sure you're following us on Twitter at everything AEW. Find me at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, yeah, that's Fuji with two eyes, like Don Fuji. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. You can search Everything Elite on the podcast app of your choice or subscribe to the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You get our show along with all the other shows on the network. Make sure that you're going on iTunes and rating and reviewing the show. Five stars only, please. Hey, we got one of those this week. Hey, hope you didn't turn off the show already. So I uh, want to shout them out. It, you, iTunes user here for the pop punk. I'm guessing that you can name yourself whatever you like when you write one of these. Uh, but he shouts out Mike and his uh, dashboard confessional reference from the other week saying that, like Mike, dashboard was formative to my high school years. So thank you for the kind words about the rotating cast, bringing the AEW news. Um, also says, I'm a lifelong WWE fan and defender, but trying my hardest to like AEW. Hope they and the podcast are here to stay. So did try this episode. I don't know if it came across to not be so petty about the WWE, trying to keep in mind that, hey, maybe there are some people that like the WWE but still want to give AEW a chance. So not going to actively alienate them if possible. Uh, thank you for the review. And uh, again, Aaron Tab somewhere heard Dashboard Confessional referenced again and popped. <laughs> what uh, Do you like pop punk at all, Nate? Uh, was never one of my main things. I think we've discussed previously. My big pop punk band was the local one, Lucky Lucky Boys Confusion. Was yes, the, I've seen the T-shirt. Yes, have the T-shirt. Um, actually, <laughs> uh, got the scoop about AEW at a recent show of theirs, um, the original one. That's right. Uh, yeah, that was my that was really my uh, my pop punk fandom extended to them. Uh, I don't know what else. I did see Dashboard live, but you know, was not the band I was there to see. They were opening. Dashboards. I'm sorry, here for the pop punk, but Dashboard was uh, not pop punk. Yeah, it's, oh, it's emo, right? Yeah. yeah, it's emo pop. It's not straight emo. It's not like sunny day real estate, but it is right. Yeah. Well, do we have any other emo we can talk about if we want to? Uh... I mean, and I've been through, through a lot of it. Yeah, I I went through a pretty hard. Uh, Echo in the Bunnymen phase, which isn't really pure emo, but they're kind of like a forebearer of emo, you know? I mean, you get into all that, it's hard. Like, real emo yeah, is, like, Sunny Day Real Estate. Uh, what's, like, the band I was trying to think? Uh, Lifetime, maybe. Lifetime, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that's, like, people will tell you, like, that's the only kind of music that's actually emo. And it became just, like, a way to categorize, like, sad songs. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, it must be emo because it's sad. I liked Pinkerton. Pinkerton? I mean, I was a big uh, Atari's fan. If you want to go straight, Atari's were like a big band in my area when I was in high school because they'd always come through. Love the Atari's. If you want to go real poppy, like your newfound glory, stars of of New York Minute. Yeah. uh, Do you want to hear what my first concert I went to was? Absolutely. This this will get my, my real pop punk bona fides. It was the Take Off Your Pants and Jacket Tour of Blink-182 with Midtown and Newfound Glory opening. Wow. Great show. Yeah. I've, I've heard of Midtown even. Yeah. Nice. 
I've never seen Blink live. I always wanted to, but now it's like not the same band anymore. So we have the guy from uh, the Aquabats there now. So that changes it. I mean, when I was like 14, I thought it was an awesome show, but also they had a giant steel structure that lit up with fire saying the word fuck. So, I mean, that's good. That's That'll good. do it. That'll do it every time. It, it appealed to my sensibilities as a kid. But my, I mean, first, my first show, you all might know this. Mm-hmm. I think I've talked about it in a group chat before. Opener, Power Man 5000. Right. No, that's false. That's a, that's a later show. Opener, System of a Down. <laughs> Second act, Method Man and Red Man. Oh, that's right. Headliner, Limp Biscuit. Huge. Yes. I do. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Sonny Kiss, who's been bringing the Limp Biscuit content on yeah. Twitter as well. I will. Every time Sonny tweets about Limp Biscuit, I'm going to retweet it because I just love it. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we've done that now. So thanks for the review. If you leave us reviews and they have interesting notes in them, we'll probably go off on a tangent like this about your review. Yeah, so. yeah, that's a good. You can request a show closing topic in a five star. Yeah. How about that? Absolutely, that's great. Yeah, we'll do that. That's great. We will definitely do that. Okay, I think I did all the plugs. So, for Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron, and we'll see you next time. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.